Well, again, as many of you know, have been with us over the years. This day is a special day. It's Reformation Sunday, the, the last Sunday in October, before October the 31st. It's been over 500 years since that theology professor from Germany, an Augustinian monk named Martin Luther, posted a writing to the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg. And in this writing, in this paper, he questioned and challenged the teachings and the practices of the church. And what possessed him to do this, we talked about it earlier, the more Luther studied the scriptures, the more he began to see how far these church leaders had strayed from the core doctrines of the Christian faith. So he made every effort he could to try and reform the church from within. That's what he wanted to do by reintroducing some of these core doctrines of the Christian faith from Scripture. And, and he wanted the church to see where they had erred and, and turn from those ways and be reformed in accordance with the Word of God. He was hoping there would be careful consideration of what Scripture says and a good discussion about how to change things. But unfortunately, what Luther found was the church was not interested much at all at hearing what Scripture has to say and no interest at all in changing any of their teachings and practices in accordance with, with what Luther was wanting in accordance with the Word. So instead of opening the door for change, the church closed the door on Luther. So Luther and many other so-called protesters, they, they broke from the church, Luther was actually forced out. He was excommunicated. Many broke from the church. And what resulted in the 16th century was the, the start of Protestantism and the, the spread of Protestant congregations across Europe. And folks, you've heard me say this in the past, but we as, we as believers, we need to be reminded of the fact that we are a product, a, a result, an outcome of this great reformation that took place. The reason we're here this morning, the reason you're here with your Bible in hand, in English, in your preferred translation, the reason why I encourage you each and every week to read and study your Bible on your own week in and week out, the reason why I stand here Sunday after Sunday under the authority of the Word of God and tell you that you are under that authority as well, believers, the, the reason why we look to what God's Word says and pattern our lives after the teachings found in this book, that all comes as a result of the Reformation. So we have Luther, German reformers, Swiss reformers, Calvin and Bullinger and Zwingli and Swiss, English and Scottish reformer John Knox and English reformers like William Tyndale and, and Roger Williams and Miles Coverdale and Hugh Latimer, Nicholas Ridley, so many others. And most importantly, while we have God to thank, right? Because he was the one behind it all. We have him to thank for this great work in church history, in human history. This morning, I want to take some time on this Reformation Sunday to focus in on one of the most important doctrines that, that resurfaced as a result of this great reformation that is vital for us today. And it is a doctrine that separates us 
today what we believe about it from other groups that gather in places like this Sunday after Sunday, and that is the doctrine of sola scriptura, which is Latin for scripture alone. This is one of the the core doctrines, the central teachings of the reformers. This doctrine teaches that scripture is our sole authority, our supreme authority, the authority by which all other authorities are measured. This, This doctrine was the driving force behind the actions of the reformers. Now, a question we need to ask before we get into it today is this, why? Why do we, why do we need to spend time on this? Why should we, we focus on this? Some might say, yeah, that was what the church was struggling with 500 years ago, but, but a reformation happened, right? And so, so the church got reformed and moved on, and here we are today. That's behind us. You might think that. You would be wrong in, in thinking that. Truth of the matter is, while the church was reformed at that time, while the church did get back on track scripturally and and spiritually throughout the history of the church and to this very day, these teachings of the reformers, the teachings of sola fide, faith alone, sola gratia, grace alone, solus Christus, Christ alone, soli deo gloria, to the glory of God alone, sola scriptura, scripture alone, These, these doctrines have been challenged and rejected throughout history and by many today who claim to be Christ followers. Many of you, you've experienced this firsthand, haven't you? Private conversations you've had with people who claim to be devout followers of Jesus Christ. There are some in this town and in the surrounding areas who gather together on Sundays who question and even outright deny some of the core teachings of the Christian faith, doctrines dealing with the the deity of Christ, the exclusive claims he made, whether the scriptures are inspired by God. In those gatherings, they, they add to and take away from the gospel Sunday after Sunday. I know where there are some church leaders in East Texas who say you don't have to repent, sin, place your faith in Christ alone to be saved, and others say it's faith plus works that makes you right with Him. Many believe the Bible is one among many authorities. It's an inspiring book, but it's not inspired by God. It's not divine authority. It's not our ultimate authority. It's not the authority by which all other authorities should be measured. They believe major parts of it need editing, much needed updating. Maybe you feel this way. Maybe you've been influenced by others in the community, by what you've seen on the web, by what you've read in a book, by what you've you've heard taught in this world. And you've been influenced by that. This is you challenge you today to consider what Scripture has to say about Scripture. What God has to say about His Word from His Word. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
We're going to be looking at verses 16 and 17 this morning. I know this is a familiar text to some of you. But this is a go-to text for these answers. In this text, we learn of the nature of Scripture, the usefulness of Scripture, and the sufficiency of Scripture. In other words, we learn what the Bible is, how the Bible helps us, and why the Bible is all we need. In the book of 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to his disciple and friend Timothy, and this is probably one of the last letters he wrote. He was in prison in Rome at the time. His days were numbered. His new, he knew that uh, his time on earth was, was coming to an end, so he writes to his faithful disciple Timothy, whom many believe was still in, in Ephesus at this time. Timothy was not the permanent pastor in Ephesus, but served there. He was sent there and served there as Paul's appointed representative. He had been sent there to work with Christ's church to help them deal with issues they were having, issues dealing with false teachers and helping them as they were enduring persecution. And Paul is, is writing to Timothy for the purpose of, of summoning him to be with him in Rome. But as we learn in our study of this book, he also has another purpose in mind as well. Paul is once again instructing Timothy and encouraging him to be a good, strong representative for him and ultimately for Christ. He calls for him to guard the good deposit entrusted to him. 2 Timothy 1.14. Protect the gospel. In 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul calls for Timothy to entrust this gospel message to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He basically tells him, as I have entrusted this message to you, you do the same to others. Chapter 3, Paul takes time to talk to Timothy of the importance of God's word. Why it's important to, to guard the good deposit. Why it's important to protect the gospel. Why it's important to entrust this gospel message to other faithful men who will be able to teach others also, and the reason why is because it's God's word and it's useful and it's all we need. Let me read this passage to you and then we'll, we'll discuss it. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17. This is God's word, believers, hear it. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Notice first the nature of Scripture. Let's talk about what the Scripture is, and let's start real, real basic. When we say Scripture, what are we... What are we talking about? Well, we're talking about this right here, right? Talking about the Bible, and notice it's, it's singular, but many of you who, who know a bit about the Bible, you know it's, while it's singular, one book, it's made up of, of a number of books, 66 to be exact. There's, it's divided, Old and New Testament. The Old Testament has 39 books written originally in Hebrew, 
And in the New Testament, there are 27 books originally written in Greek. And together they, they form this book that we have, that hopefully you brought with you today, the Bible, right? And we as, we as evangelicals, we believe that there is one author of the Bible. God is behind the writings and the compiling of these books. But we also know that it has many authors. So it's a, a divine book, but it's also a human book. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God. Now, notice when Paul says all scripture, he's thinking Old Testament probably, and maybe some of the teachings of the apostles, but most of the books were not of the New Testament were not written during this time. So Paul's thinking Old Testament. We know that the apostles referred to their writings as being divinely inspired. So Paul's thinking Old Testament, but God who inspired the words of Paul, he's thinking old and new, all right? All of scripture breathed out by God. From the ESV, the Greek word breathed out by God is theopneustos, translated in the ESV, breathed out by God. This means God breathed, inspired by God, filled up with the breath of God. The Bible is God breathed, meaning that it carries with it the weight of God himself. It came from him and therefore carries with it his authority. This is so very important for us to know. Maybe this illustration will help you. Say you have a parent who's not going to be home after work. And their kid gets home from school and they leave a note for that kid that says, don't go outside and play. Don't get out the video games. Don't get out the tablet. Don't do anything until what? You finish homework, right? That's the note they left. And let's say they come home and they find the kids outside playing or playing on video games and the homework is incomplete. That parent comes in and says, what, what are you doing? I, I told you that you're not to do anything until your homework is completed. You disobeyed me. Now imagine if that child said, nah, nah, I didn't disobey you. I just disobeyed that piece of paper in there. How might that parent respond? Well, first probably spank them, right? And, and then <laughs> remind them by disobeying what's on that sheet of paper, you're disobeying me. Because what's on that sheet of paper are my words to you. Therefore, the words on that sheet of paper carry with it my authority. See where I'm going? Same is true of God's word. We need to be reminded of this. We, we need to be reminded that the Bible is God's word to such an extent that to disbelieve or disobey the Bible is to disbelieve and disobey God himself because the Bible is God breathed. It came from the mind and the mouth of God, but it also comes from the minds of men. You see this when you really do a detailed study of different books of scripture, certainly when you're, you're looking at the 
uh, Hebrew and the Greek, you see differences between the writers. You see different writing styles, different education levels of the different writers. When I was in beginning Greek in uh, seminary, we started with 1 John because 1 John's very, very simple. His vocabulary is very simple. It's not as, as vast as, as Luke's. He's not as wordy as Paul. It's very, very easy to study. Other books, not so much. So you see different writing styles. You see different education levels through the different writers. Listen to how Peter describes it. 2 Peter 1.21 For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So here, Peter gives us better insight of what this mysterious process of inspiration looks like. He explains here that men spoke using their own personalities, their own intelligence, but they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, so in a divine, supernatural way, God uses human beings to write His words, but as He uses human beings, He works through their personalities and their own intelligence to write His word And while so doing, he preserves his word and keeps his word from error. This is what is meant when we say the Bible is inerrant. It is without error because it is God's word and God is what? Without error, right? So his word must not contain errors. It's also very important for me to remind you when we say that the Bible is inerrant, we mean in the original autographs, the, the original manuscripts, in the original Greek and Hebrew, and in our Bibles, in our KJV, NASB, NIV, uh, ESV, in our Bibles, insofar as or to the extent that they reflect the original manuscripts. This is very, very important. I know it sounds very, very technical, but it's important for you to understand that. This belief is what led Luther and the later reformers to question and improve upon Jerome's translation of the Bible into Latin. They made improvements on that because they studied the original languages. Many of the reformers were were gifted in the languages. Tyndale spoke eight, eight languages. He spoke eight languages. He understood eight languages, okay? And he used... Luther's German, which Luther, of course, used. Erasmus's Greek New Testament, which came out in 1516, the Novum Testamentum Omni. And, and his, uh, used, he used Hebrew text as well. For those of you all in our church history class, this should sound very familiar to you right now, okay? And, and so, so God gifted these men at this time to go back to the sources to study the original Hebrew and Greek so that they could improve upon Jerome's translation of the Bible. Tyndale did that. He improved upon, Wycliffe had had provided for us in the 1300s an English translation of the Bible from Latin, but Tyndale used Erasmus's Greek New Testament and sources that Luther were using along with his, uh, his German translation of the Bible as well, but so very, very important for you and me today to have the Bible in, in our language. It was Tyndale's mission in life. He went on the run from England throughout Germany so that we could have the Bible, so the plowman could know the Bible 
better than the Pope. That was his conviction. Studying the Greek and the Hebrew and the Latin is also what led the reformers to stand against the church of their day and challenge the teachings and practices of the leaders in the church who were embracing teachings and functioning in a way that was counter to the word of God. While the reformers acknowledged authority in the church, they did not agree that that authority in the church amongst those leaders was on par with Scripture. That's why Luther, when he stood at the Diet of Worms and they told him to recant of his writings, he said, unless you show me where I have erred in Scripture, I cannot. That was Luther's conviction. Why? Because the Bible is God's Word. It's His Word to us. And this is very, very important for us to believe as well. What we believe about the Bible believers will greatly influence and determine the way we function as a church and as individual believers. If you don't believe the Bible is from the mind and the mouth of God, you will not view it as being your ultimate authority and will make exception after exception and explain certain passages away that do not align with with what you want to be true and the way in which you want to live. You know how I know that'll happen? Because it happens all the time. Scripture is being butchered by those who do not believe it to be divinely inspired. It's being twisted and molded and reshaped to align with the desires and the agendas of sinful humanity. May that not be said of us, Fellowship Bible Church. We're not to mold it and shape it to fit what we want. We're to be molded and shaped by it. We are not to ignore parts of it or add parts to it, but to study it in its entirety and believe it and apply it and share it with others as we read it in here, period. Now let's talk about the usefulness of Scripture. Man, we got to move, don't we? Preaching too much. 2 Timothy 3.16 again, Paul says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So so notice here the usefulness of Scripture. First, we're told that the Scriptures are profitable for teaching. This is an obvious one. One of the primary things, what I'm doing right now, and one of the primary things we we do, what what our teachers are doing in the back, we, we teach the Bible. Parents, you're called to teach your children. To instruct them in the word so that they'll know how to be saved and live the life God has called for them to live. Believers, we are called by Christ to make disciples. And what's a key word? What's a key way we make disciples? Teaching, right? Through teaching. Where do we begin? What book do we start with? Well, there's some strategic places you can go, but really anywhere. All of Scripture is profitable, right? Ron, you ask me, what do you, what do you think about 1 Samuel? What did I say? Great. Sounds great. It's Scripture, right? John, Ephesians, right? Tuesday night, what did I say? Good book. Our ladies studied a lot. Studied Genesis. Is that where y'all are now? Yeah? Matthew, okay? Sounds great. 
Good. I didn't even know that. But I think it sounds great. Why? Because all Scripture is profitable. The Bible is also useful for rebuking. It's useful for teaching, profitable for teaching, useful for rebuking. Because we are prone to wander. At times we need to be rebuked and redirected back to the right path, the path that God has paved for us. God's word shows us the error of our ways and and calls for us to not swerve to the right or to the left, but turn our feet away from evil, Proverbs 4. And the Bible shows us how to do that by first showing us our sinfulness and our our need of salvation and by showing us how to be saved by, by turning from our sin and trusting in Christ for salvation. And then the scriptures tell us how to live the life Christ has called for us to live. Paul says it's useful for correction. Believers, at times we need to be corrected in our thinking and those in our world certainly need it. This is what Martin Luther was hoping would happen. That's why when he first posted his his writing, his 95 thesis to the door of the castle church, which wasn't an act of rebellion, by the way, the, the church door in that day served as a community bulletin board. It's where people put writings to be considered. And when Luther first posted it, he posted it in Latin, which was the language of the scholars. People didn't speak Latin. The reason why Luther posted it in Latin was because he was hoping for a discussion amongst the scholars behind closed doors, hoping that they would accept correction. What happened, unbeknownst to Luther, is some of his students took it down, translated it into German, used the newly invented printing press to print off all these copies and send it off all over Europe. And the rest is history. Should say God by his providence did that as well. Amen? Yeah. But that's what, that's what he was hoping for. That they would see where they erred doctrinally and changed their thinking and their teachings. They did not. Believers, we must. We must. We are to study God's word in this way. And ask the Spirit of God to correct us in our thinking and in the way we're living. It's not easy to do because who is the hardest person to put under the correction of God's Word? We are. It's true. Many of us, we we don't mind speaking the truth to others. It's ourselves we don't like to preach to. Sharing the first service, sometimes Ron will... Give me a hard time. He said, Graham, you're moving from preaching to meddling. I said, just think about me. I've had it with me all week. I've had to preach it to myself all week. It's hard. We also learned that the Bible is profitable. It's useful for training in righteousness. The ultimate goal in life, the reason God has made you and me, the reason he has redeemed us is so that we would be conformed into the image of his son. And that will not happen apart from His Word. So the Word of God is is useful. It's profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. We also learn from 2 Timothy 3 the sufficiency of Scripture. This means that Scripture contains all that we need for salvation and for growth in Godliness. That's what we mean when we say the sufficiency of Scripture. It's not all we have to help us with this. We have other books. They better be biblically based, though, because Scripture is all we need. We have books in our bookstore. 
that are biblically based that will help you grow. But Scripture is all we need. Let's go back to 2 Timothy 3, and let's start at verse 15 this time. Paul says, From childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Timothy certainly had from his grandmother and his mother. They were faithful Christ followers, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete or, or, or competent, equipped for every good work. Paul says here that the sacred writings, the Scriptures are, are able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, and they're given by God to us so that we would be made complete, so that we would be equipped for every good work. We learn here that the Scriptures are all we need for salvation and to be complete spiritually. Scripture is all we need to be who God has called for us to be and equip us to be who God has called us to be and, and equip us for, to, to live the way God's called for us to live. The Bible is sufficient. What God requires, what He expects, He gives us here. And He also, in Scripture, He tells us of the source of our strength, which is the Spirit of God. Believers, we are indwelt with the Spirit of God who works through our study and through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God to work in us to will and to do. Now, you first need the Spirit of God in you to live this life in this way. You need the Spirit of God to change you from the inside out and apply the finished work of Christ to your life. But we learn here from Scripture that, that after the Spirit of God does this great work, after He, through His Word, shows us our sinfulness and our need for Christ and, and opens He opens our eyes and our ears to it and makes our hearts believe it and brings us to repentance and faith. After that, the Spirit of God, believers, through the Word of God, then shows us everything God expects us to be and do and gives us the power to do it. He works in us to will and to do So this passage teaches us that there is no other revelation on par with the Scriptures. Whatever the material may be, we're to take that material and measure it by the Word of God. God's Word is our supreme authority. And whatever fails to match up or goes counter to God's Word is to be rejected. All other teachings, all other doctrines, all other beliefs and practices are to be measured by Scripture. And the reason why, again, is because Scripture is God's Word. It is useful and it is all we need. This is what Martin Luther was Wanting the church to realize in the 1500s saw many of the teachings and practices of the church being in conflict with the scriptures. So he wanted the beliefs and, and, and teachings of the leaders in the church to be brought under the authority of the word of God. Measured by it, they refused, which is why he and other reformers embraced, re-embraced this doctrine that Scripture alone is our ultimate authority. It is our highest authority. It is our perfect authority. Why? Because it is divine authority. It is God-breathed coming straight from the mind and the mouth of God. 
The church in Luther's day failed to understand and or accept this. And many of our churches today have made the same mistake, which is tragic. Because according to Paul, how are we made complete? How are we equipped for every good work? Through being taught, rebuked, corrected, and trained by the Word of God. If I didn't have that, I wouldn't have anything to give you. Might as well just tear out of here. It's all I got, but it's everything. I want you to get this, write this down, let this sink in. This is key. You will only be as strong spiritually as you are knowledgeable scripturally. You will only be as strong spiritually as you are knowledgeable biblically. How many of you like hot tea? Anybody like hot tea? I like hot tea. I like coffee better, hot coffee. But uh, at times I'll, I'll change it up a little bit and have hot tea. I had some last night. Leslie and I did. For those of you who uh, know how to make tea, hot tea, you know that to make it strong, which is the way I like it, you got to let the tea bag steep in water for a while. The longer the tea bag steeps in water, the darker the water gets, which means the stronger the drink. In the same way, the strength of our faith is directly contingent on the amount of time we allow ourselves to be steeped in the Word of God. We will never be where we need to be as believers and as a church. We, we will never be where we need to be in our, in our homes unless we get serious about studying the Word of God. Serious about reading the Word, studying the Word, preaching the Word, praying the Word, sharing the Word, and doing the Word. Folks, do you value the Word of God? Do you believe it to be your supreme authority? If not, might I suggest that it may be because you don't view God as your supreme authority. One of my girls tells another one what to do. At times they'll respond with, sorry girls, you're not the boss of me. You ever hear that? See, everybody's guilty of it, not just y'all. You're not the boss of me. Sometimes we treat God in that way. We may not state it, but when we hear his word and it's counter to our thinking, counter to what we want to do, we think deep down, you're not the boss of me. I'm the boss of me. I live my own way. I take my own path. I'm the boss of me. That's what we think. We may not say it, but we show it by the way in which we live. Listen, while our girls are right to tell the other one, you're not the boss of me, that's true. God is our authority. And Scripture is clear that those who live apart from and opposed to Him will have to face Him and His wrath in the life to come. Maybe you're here this morning and you do not value God's Word as your supreme authority because you do not view God as your supreme authority. And the reason why you do not view God as your supreme authority is because you do not know Him. And the reason you do not know Him is because you're not trusting in His Son alone 
for your salvation. Listen, God sent his son to change that. In addition to giving us his word in the form of scripture, God gave us the word in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus came down to us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He lived for us. He died for us, was raised for us so that we through faith in him alone could be forgiven of sin, made right with God and have life in his name. That's why he came. If you're here this morning and up to this point in your life, you have lived your life apart from and opposed to God. You've lived as if you're your own authority. I urge you this morning to release the grip you have on the reins of your life and give your life up and over to King Jesus. Make Him Lord today. So you can start this new life with Him. A life of purpose. A life of joy. Under the guidance and direction of His Word through the power of His Spirit. Let's pray together.